Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans. I'm Clint. Thanks for joining me. And today we are going to be discussing the Keiths. And before I get into that, I want to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, USA Kilts. Go on usakilts.com for any interest you might have in owning a kilt or any other piece of Scottish traditional dress or cultural items or anything of that sort. They have a pretty wide selection of, of things you can you can purchase that would help you to express your Scottish or more generally Celtic identity. They do have a, a smattering of, of Welsh and Irish things throughout their, their options there. And then also hop over to YouTube if you want some quality content discussing anything that you want to know about a kilt, how to wear a kilt, what you wear with kilts. And they also expand out from there into Scottish history, Scottish culture. So go over there and look up the YouTube channel, USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. All right, more about that later, but let's let's start to dig into the Keiths a little bit here. Now, I do want to give a shout out to Corey Romanat, who is a, a listener of this podcast, has been for a little while now has been asking for a an episode on the Keiths for a while now, and somewhere along the line, he heard me say that part of what drives how I choose what to do an episode on is the, the source material that I have available. And so he went ahead and compiled some sources for me. So a lot of what he compiled originally came from from uh, electricscotland.com and the Collins Scottish Clan of Family Encyclopedia, which is the source that just about every general Scottish cultural culture slash Scottish clan website grabs your information from, is that Collins Scottish Clan of Family Encyclopedia. So, but he did throw into this his collection of sources a, a work by D.B. Miller, Delta Bravo, Bravo Miller, D.B. Miller's work called Historic Castles and Families of the North. And actually, that was very helpful to me in piecing together how the Keiths acquired their different properties, the connections they had with other families, and the different branches and some of the activities that happened in relation to that. So thank you, Corey, and in, a re, in response to that, uh, let's get into talking about the Keiths and what's interesting about them. Now, this is not the same format as I've done in times past where, hey, here's a clan and here's a few interesting things about them. Similar to those formats, this is not an extensive, all-inclusive historical narrative of this particular clan from their origins clear up to present. I, I do not have time for that sort of work, and you can pretty easily find just about everything you want to know about that. Uh, but rather than just doing, hey, here's five interesting things about the Keiths, like I've done in previous episodes, I want to start off a little bit of a new series of kindreds that I've, I'm a little bit fascinated with, and I'm going to call them frontier clans because border clans is already taken and it means something completely different. So you have the border clans down the border with England, and they are a an interesting subgroup of the kin-based society found throughout Scotland. Now, even though we've had this discussion, well, were clans completely a feature of the Gaelic-speaking highlands, 
or did did they exist in the lowlands? How did the borders play into this? I have I believe I presented enough evidence for the listener basing my argument on scholarly sources such as Jenny Warmald, John Bannerman, and, and others, and, and I have episodes earlier episodes that you can buy you can go and check out on those on that subject. So let's go on the assumption. Let's let's start from there that the Kinbay Society was during certain times in the historical period of Scotland, general throughout Scotland. With that argument being made, and I think well backed up in those previous episodes using scholarly sources, I do believe that the Kinbay Society looked differently region to region. So you had the West Highland, or the Highland generally, and Hebridean Gaelic Kinbay Society, and that is kind of the core of what we refer to as a clan. And really, we use that as the gold standard to judge everything else by. Now, that being said, I do believe this concept looks different in different areas of Scotland. So I mentioned the borders of Scotland, these these kindreds that did very much live in a Kinbay Society up against the border of England. You might, if you want to be really crazy, say that the English on the opposing side of the border may have developed similar societal features. So that would be a really interesting thing to jump into. The concept of English clans on the border? I don't know. We're going to leave that for some other time. Um, what I mean by frontier clans is these are these clans that live on this frontier between lowland and highland. And what kind of a world they live in where there are these cultural elements from both sides are mixing and mingling in this frontier area. And so I would love to do a series on this. And I'm gonna and I've mentioned this before in other episodes, but I'm going to call this a Frontier Clans episode, and we're gonna do it on the Keiths. And we're gonna talk about where they held ter- held territory what cultural elements they may have been exposed to or a part of, and do we see anything that marks the Keiths as an actual clan in a kin-based society, or were they merely an aristocratic family that looks a lot like their English counterparts farther south? All right, so what's the origin of the Keiths? This I want to just make a brief note on, because when you look this up on Wikipedia, it, it starts off, with a Germanic tribe during the Roman period called the Hatti. And I think that's a bit of a stretch. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail. I did look up, I did read up a little bit on the Hatti, and I think it's a huge stretch to tie them to the first person known as a Keith. Probably, probably, not certainly, but probably the Keiths were a Norman family. Now, Here's why I think that. They came to prominence during the Canmore dynasty. And the Canmores, starting with Malcolm III, Canmore, and, and his posterity that held the king the king or the throne of, of Oliva or Scotland, this group of people were crazy for the Normans. They loved them. They loved the language. They loved everything about them. And this is where we see the first of the Keith line obtain lands in a place called Keith, and he becomes the first of his line to be the marshal, which looks like Marischal, but I'm just going to say marshal of the Scottish kings 
for his, so first first of his line, first of his family to be marshal to the king. Now, what was the marshal's job? He was responsible for the royal regalia, specifically the crown, the sword, and the scepter, making sure that uh, it was well kept. And he was also the king's personal security detail while the king was attending parliament or the queen, as the case may be. So the I mentioned that they take their name from the territory that they were given possession of during the Canmore dynasty. Um, this this name Keith is actually a Brythonic word, and so just for what that's worth to you, it doesn't mean that this that the Keith people are are from a Brythonic or a a local native Celtic Britain background. So I, I think that they are Normans, but I don't know it for sure, but that's just kind of where I'm leaning toward. All right, so that's how they come to prominence in that time period. So so their, their center of gravity for their territory is in East Lothian. That's where the, the lands of Keith were. East Lothian, so east of Edinburgh, for those people of, who don't have a map of Scotland memorized. All right, now this, this line of people that are the marshals, the hereditary marshals to the kings of the, and queens of the Scots, they had a very, very fortuitous or fortunate marriage with into the Cheney family. And the Cheney family were very, they were another Norman family, very powerful in, if you're looking at the lands, the extent of the lands that they occupied. And they, they did not lose their power. Like a lot of other Norman families who fade out, like the Cheneys did, because they sided against Bruce. No, they, they actually, post Wars of Independence, still, so up into the mid-1300s, were still occupying vast territories or, or controlling or owning vast territories in northeastern Scotland and up in Caithness, very, very far north of Scotland. So when I say northeast, I'm talking about the Aberdeenshire area. They had lands there, and then they had a pretty big land ownership up in Caithness, very far north. North. So, the a younger son of the Earl of uh, of the uh, of the Keith Marshall married. His, so his name is John. So he's not in line to inherit his father's position, lands, things down there in East Lothian. So he was the one that married into the Cheneys. Marries a Cheney heiress. That the male line ran out, and this marriage brought into the family in Verugi and Ackergill. And these are going to become very important territories possessed by the Keiths in in future generations. So in, in acquiring these, now while the this younger son is acquiring these properties of Inverugi, that's in the Aberdeenshire area, and Ackergill, which is way up in Caithness, while that's happening, the Marshall line, so his brother and his descendants, are also acquiring lands up in the Aberdeenshire area. And they get Donauder Castle, which is one of the most famous castles. It's one of the coolest looking castles in all of Scotland. It was known to be nearly impregnable. And that was, that was a possession of the Marshall branch of this family. This other branch that takes Inverugie and Ackergill what we see, regardless of which branch we're talking about, the center of gravity for the Keiths shifts northward out of Lothian and those those that part of the lowlands farther north. Now, despite owning property in Caithness and they get Ackergill Tower, 
the 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 chiefs of this branch of the Keith kindred don't spend a lot of time up in Akergill, up in Caithness. They're sent, they spend most of their time, they make Inverugi their, their primary residence and base of operations, and they use captains to keep Akergill Tower up in Caithness. Now, most of these captains were, no, were had the Keith surname, but not all of them did. Now, in this, we start to see the Keiths maybe develop and starting looking like a clan. Uh, I'm reminded of the, the these other clans, maybe like the Campbells, where they have a job to do, and most of the people that they're going to use for that job are going to be other Campbells. And so that's what we see the Keiths here doing, is using other Keiths, kindreds, kin of theirs, to maintain Ackergill Palace, now or Ackergill Tower. Now... Remember, I said not everybody who was captain of that and holding it for the Keiths were actual Keiths. This is also in keeping. This is this is match for match what we can see in the Highlands, in the Gaelic-speaking society. Um, we, we've got into long conversations in previous episodes on the Facebook group that just using strictly surnames can be often misleading when understanding the clan system. As you have, you have people who, a they because this one clan is prominent in that area, they have no blood relation, but they change they they use that surname, so that's misleading. And another thing is you have people that are very connected by blood to the chiefly line of this clan, but they have they choose to use the name of another prominent ancestor. That splits off. An example of this would be like the McKeans of Ardnamurkin. They were McDonald's. So are the McAllisters of the Loop. They were they branch off the McDonald's. Another example of this would be the MacArthur's of Strucker. They were Campbells. In fact, they claim to be the senior line of the Campbells. But the Campbells of Lacha become dominant. And so, but the MacArthur's they don't go by the name Campbells. So that can be misleading. The McAllisters, the McKeans, they don't go by the McDonald surname. So, so using, and, and there's then smaller scale versions of that, more localized. And so using just strictly thinking of this in terms of surnames can be misleading when trying to understand the clan system. Okay, especially when you've got this map, this clan map of Scotland, like I've had since I was just right out of high, oh no, actually my senior year is when I bought, in high school, I bought this thing. And you say, okay, well, it shows the uh, the Robertsons had their territory in this area, and so I guess that part of Scotland was inhabited by a bunch of Robertsons. And that's not everybody in that territory, related or not, would be of that same surname. So back to the Keiths. The Keiths have this Ackergill Tower. They don't spend a ton of time up there. But it's interesting because this branch of the Keiths, the Keiths who do, are employed to keep that property up in Caithness, they do develop into their own little clan up there. They're very, very clannish looking. And I'm going to give you some, some examples of this from the history. Now, let's, so, so as we start to maybe shift this, this episode's focus from, we've gone from Lothian up into the Aberdeenshire area, and let's focus on Caithness for a little bit. Um, when the, when the Keiths obtained that property in the mid-1300s from the Cheneys, 
and moving forward from there. I tried to look up different maps that showed the extent of the Gaelic language at different time periods within Scotland, and I got mixed results. And now I have, and I have, I have actually read one study on this about the Gaelic language in Caithness. I don't think it went as far east as Ackergill, but I don't know that for sure. And so one question I have culturally, and this goes into this concept of being a frontier clan, you know, they've got their property in predominantly not Gallic areas, but some of their property is in it. And that part of their kindred that it lives and, and raises families in that area could they, A, have been Gallic speakers because that was the dominant culture in that area, or B, been heavily influenced by Gallic culture that would have been um, in close contact with that? Uh, this, this reminds me of a part of, part of a paper that I read by Alison Cathcart, who, in a footnote of one of her articles that she's, she's published that I used in my master's thesis, and that is that in the Aberdeenshire area, there was it was a very fuzzy line between the Gaeltacht of the Highlands and the Scots-speaking Lowlands, and the way they, they dress and speak and all this. That was it was it wasn't this clear-cut. Well, the mountains are there, the lowland farming area is here, so we speak this and they speak that, and it's all nice and clean and cut and dry. Not so much. So that's a question I have is, and, and I don't have an answer for that. So if any of you know this and you can cite scholarly sources like well-founded, no kidding, solid sources on this, I'd be interested to see that. And to be honest, I didn't spend a ton of time trying to track that down. Just a question I have. All right. So maybe the, the Keiths up in Caithness um, did exist there in a Gallic cultural context or they were very close to it. All right. Um, Let's talk about some of the conflicts that the Keiths got into, their feuds, their battles, because this is where I really think another area that they start really looking like a clan. The Keiths, now for sources, we can go into the genealogical history of the Earldom of Sutherland, which is a, a quite often cited source because it was written in the 1600s, so during the clan period where this is still an operating, no kidding, the clans are a thing in Scotland more than just a society that sends out a monthly email. Um, so it's a contemporary account of the events that happened in the far north of Scotland. It was written by a Gordon who is connected closely re related to the Gordon Earls of Sutherland that were a big deal in this part of Scotland. And so his account of this earldom often, often reaches out and includes involvement with these other kindreds and clans that were in these areas. So it brings in accounts of the Mackays of Strathnaver, the Rosses of Balnagowan, the Sinclairs of or Sinclairs of Caithness, the the Guns, so on and so forth. And so we have we can get into that source for this and also there's a work and I, the the name of it right off the top of my head escapes me, but it's of the something like the house and name of Mackay, something like that. Robert Mackay, I think, was the, the author of that one. Both of those sources mention the Battle of Tanakhmore or Blartani in what they maybe was in, happened in 1464. 
this this battle we see this is a clan battle and in the record the keiths are mentioned as the keiths not as some feudal guy who called up his tenants and took him to fight with them it mentions them the same way that they would refer to the Mackays or the Rosses or this group or that that were everybody accepts as clans. Okay, so the it starts out the Battle of Tanakh Moor started out as a territorial dispute between the Keiths and the Oliphants. And the Keiths reach out to the Mackays of Strathnaver to because they're not confident about the Oliphant force that's that's being assembled against them. Now the Oliphants were fighting with the guns in the Sutherlands. So the, so the Keiths, they're not sure that they can stand up to this combined force, reach out to the Mackays of Strathnaver, who show up. They link up. They These two, the Keiths and the Mackays, combine. They go against the Oliphants, the guns, and the Sutherlands, and they actually win this. It's a Keith-Mackay victory. Now one thing that does interesting, it says is one of the heavy hitters in this in this battle was a man from Ascent, which is interesting because Ascent is the, the, the territory of a branch of the McLeods. So I don't know if this gentleman was a McLeod, if he was a Mackay, but he was from an area that was McLeod territory. All right, the next, so that's, so that's an evidence of the Keiths fighting together as a kindred, which is one of the things, and probably one of the easiest ways to look at a group and say, are they a clan or are they just an aristocratic family that looks like the English? Another another episode that might help us out is the Battle of the Champions. That's one thing I've heard it called. I don't know that's the official name for this conflict. Maybe happened in 1478. This is the Keiths versus the Guns. So you're seeing some patterns here. Yep, the Keiths and the Guns had a long-running feud in Caithness. Now, this is that one where I, I did a whole episode just on this battle, so I'm not going to go into a ton of detail, but in short, the, the agreement was, okay, let's, let's meet together, let's work this out. No more than 12 horse can be brought on each side. The Keith said, okay, but they showed up with two guys on each horse, thus doubling the number of the guns and really cleaned house. The, it, was, it was a bad day for the guns. Now, the guns in a retaliatory raid actually killed the Keith chief of this branch of the clan. So, you know, it went back and forth. So there's two conflicts of the Keith, specifically the branch of the Keiths that lived up in Caithness, where they're really looking like a clan. All right. Now, before I get into um, another clan feud that actually happens down in the Aberdeenshire area with the Keiths of Inverugi, or rather in that vicinity, I believe it was actually dealing with the, the Marshall branch of the, of the Keiths. Before I get into that, um, I want to mention, I want to go in a little bit more detail about my sponsor, USA Kilts. They produce some, some quality, quality content on YouTube. Their YouTube channel is called USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. I really think that if you're interested in this subject, you should go check them out. Um, Specifically, if you were if if you were interested in buying a kilt, or you have just bought a kilt, and you want to know more about it, man, they have so many things, and it's very they they really are spot on with the questions that they're answering. Now, partly because they're actually answering questions sent into them by people who want to know about how to wear kilts, but another reason is I just think they've got a good they're just good at anticipating questions, and so they. 
the the content's so relevant. But it's not just kilts and how to wear kilts and what you wear with kilts and what not to do with kilts. They get into Scottish culture, Scottish history. They really do have a ton of really really good quality content on there. So go check them out on YouTube, USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. USAKilts.com is their storefront. And that is where you go purchase yourself a quality, quality kilt. I have one from them personally. I really enjoy wearing it. Um, their customer service and my kilt buying experience was just spot on. They really went the extra mile in making sure my kilt fit me well and um, and I would, I would definitely have zero reservation about recommend, recommending them to anybody else. Also, it's free shipping anywhere in the United States. So go check them out, usakilts.com. All right. So back to the, um, the Keiths. So it wasn't just the Caithness Keiths that were involved in clan feuds. The Keiths that were down in the Aberdeenshire area looked every bit as much of a clan when it came to disputes with neighbors as the Caithness branch did. And in this, I'm referring to, so we're going to jump backward in time. The Battle of Tanakh Moor, maybe 1464, Battle of Champions, 1478, maybe. Um, there's just, you know, there's, those dates are a little bit uncertain, but those are the closest guesses there. The Battle of Drumoke happened in 1402. And this pit the Keiths against the Irvins of Drum, which the Irvins of Drum, you could ask the same questions about them as we were originally asking about the Keiths. Were they a clan or were they just an aristocratic family? And what I think we see here, and as I tell you the story, I think you'll agree, is this really does look like a clan battle. It's not uh, merely two feudal dudes just calling their guys up and having at each other it really looks like a clan battle so not only would this give us the answer to that question for the keiths it would also answer it for the Irvins of drum it really looks like they are a clan as well so teaching us that this clan concept this kin-based society um, was not completely relegated to the gallic speaking highlands that there was a version of this in the lowlands as well. Now, I'm not here to claim to you that it looked exactly the same in the lowlands as it did in the highlands, but definitely qualified as a kin-based society. And really at its at its heart, that's what a clan is. So the the Keiths versus the Irvins of Drum, the Battle of Drumoke in 1402, leading up to 1402, in the years prior, there had been some really tough events that had happened between these two kindreds. You had some of Marsh, Marshall's men burnt one of Drum's, the Irvin of Drum's children in hot wort. I had to look up what wort was. It's actually a liquid that is at a certain stage in the whiskey distillery process or distillation process, I should say. It's so it's it's going to be whiskey or beer someday, but it's not yet. They actually, and it just it doesn't give in a ton of detail that they burned one of Irvin of Drum's kids in hot wart. Didn't, didn't say they burnt him to death. Didn't say they pinned him down and spilled it all over him. Didn't say that they had a big vat of it and they dipped him in. I don't, I don't know how this went, but either way, um, I think that if this had happened to my kid, I would have had a very big problem with this. So in return, the Irvins laid waste to Keith lands. Now this leads us up to the actual Battle of Drumoke, but I, here's what I don't know. Just from the reading, it, it I couldn't tell whether this battle happens immediately after the Irvin raid into Keith lands in retaliation for the burning deal, 
or if this is years later and it's just another episode of these two people that hate each other. But what, what is happening in 1402 that leads up to this battle is that the Keiths were on a raid into Irvin territory. Now, I don't know what it was they took, but as they're, they did the raid and they're making their way off, maybe driving cattle with them, maybe it was riches of some other sort, I don't know. Cattle seems to be the most likely thing in my head, but I don't know that for sure. But they get to the River D, and before they can across, they can get across it and make their escape, the Irvins catch up with them. And so there ensues a battle. Now, a bunch of Keiths were killed by Irvin weapons, but there were more that there were other Keiths that were not killed by Irvins, but were there's a deep part of the river D right here where this battle took place. And I'm just guessing some of them were wearing armor that was too heavy for their swimming capability, and they drowned in this. So you got Keith's and I'm, I'm thinking in my head, ter like thinking this uh, tactically, that this is they found themselves on unfavorable ground. The river behind them doesn't get them a lot of room to maneuver, and and so now they're into disadvantage disadvantageous terrain, and so they're dying in the battle part of it. They're dying by drowning. The chief of the leader of this Keith War Band, and I don't know if it was the actual marshal himself, or if it was whoever, because you know. You know this from other episodes in Scottish history. The chief wasn't always the guy that was leading his guys in battle. Now, he had to be able to. They had to have that confidence in him or his leadership credit credibility would suffer greatly. But he, it didn't mean that he always was the one. This is in popular culture. To give you something that you may have actually watched on TV, this is the story on Outlander where you have the McKenzie chief, but it's his brother, Dougal McKenzie, that actually is the war band leader. That was very common. The Sutherlands, and what I mentioned earlier, um, not just the uh, the clan Sutherland, but also the Gordons who would inherit the Sutherland earldom, they would use the Murrays as their military arm. And it's not that the Murrays did all the fighting, but they were the leaders, the, the, the tip of the spear when the Sutherland kindred went to battle. Um, also another example of this is... Um, the Campbells of Auchenbreck. They were the Campbell, the, the Earl of Argyle. They were, this branch of the family was the one that was in charge of all things military. So we see this happen. So with the Keiths, I don't know whether it was the actual Earl Marshal or whether it was a guy that he had in charge. He had made it out from the fighting, made it across this pool, this deep part of the river without drowning, made it to a rock out in the middle of the water that he crawled up on for relief. And just when he's thinking he's made it away, an uh, Irvin arrow takes him out. So it was just a bad day for the, the, the Keith clan. But I think what it really shows is the value of getting into that story is to show that this is a clan battle. This is a clan battle between the Irvins of Drum and the Keiths. And no, like I said earlier, probably not every single person fighting was, um, had a Keith or an Irvin last name. Nor were they necessarily have to be related to it, um, to to the main branch. But any time that you can call up men of any degree of relationship based on real or perceived kinship, you're, where you're not exclusively using the feudal system, um, I'm I'm saying you're you're in clan land there. So 
That's what I think. Now, let me just pause on that comment because that, that brings up something important that I was just reading on our Scotch Clans group. By the way, great things are happening on that. And I still see, I still see comments that make it sound like there's, it's just we're getting this feudal system as it worked in Scotland a little confused. Um, I have seen people say, hey, the feudal system came in and displaced the clan system or that the clan system was the feudal system in Scotland. Guys, the feudal system and the clan system are not mutually exclusive. They're two different systems, but they can work side by side hand in hand. You can have the, the Earl of Argyle, who is a Scottish nobleman, politician, who is also the head of a West Highland clan, who look to him as their clan chief way more than they do their feudal superior. The, but, but he still is the Earl in a very feudal capacity. There are still people on his territory that he can command because he's the Earl. And it doesn't matter if they're related to him or not. But the fact still remains that there's a ton of people that will answer his call because they look at him as a chief. These these two systems merged, especially when the Normans came into Scotland at the invitation of David I and then a bunch of the, uh, the, the Canmore kings. So just just to say that, I just, there seems, seems to be so much confusion on this concept. All right, so that's what I have about the Keiths. The last thing, I just one little point that I do want to point out about them because they were the, the Scottish royalties marshals and never did that capacity present itself more than when Oliver Cromwell brings his boys up into Scotland and things are going poorly for his enemies, which include the Keiths and William Keith, ninth Earl Marshal, as it's his job to make sure these symbols of Scottish sovereignty, um, and I, guys, I know that there's there's issues with that concept because it's the Stuarts that are the that just are the deposed and are fighting back, and there's all sorts of things going. But the the remnants, the symbols of the Stuart dynasty, he's in charge of that those symbols, the the crown, the scepter, the sword, and so guess what? He's got one of the most impregnable castles in all of Scotland in Dunodder. And so he has the regalia shipped off to there, thinking it'll hold out. Well, Oliver Cromwell hears about this, and he makes a beeline for Dunodder, and he's laying siege. He lays, a siege, lays siege to Dunodder for eight months. That's how long they held out there. That's a testament to the, the key terrain that Dunodder holds. Now, it wasn't an actual Keith that was commanding the garrison of this castle. It was a, it was an Ogilvy. But... And, and the Ogilvy, this gentleman did his job well. And during this eight-month siege, they actually successfully smuggled out the regalia, the honors of Scotland. And there's a couple of different stories about how that happened, but I won't go into that. But when Oliver Cromwell finally, when, when Ogilvy finally capitulated and surrendered Dunodder Castle, and Oliver Cromwell finds out that the the... Regalia was not there. The honors of Scotland weren't there. That's, he was wanting to strike a symbolic blow to Charles, King Charles II and, and the Stuarts. And, and so he, because he was angry that they'd got away, he imprisons Ogilvy. But I think this is just an interesting example of the Keith Marshals 
doing their job as the marshals of Scotland and making sure that those, um, and it was a team effort, definitely. They didn't do all of it, but it was their castle that he shipped them off to where he thought they'd be safe. And ultimately they were successful in that. All right. So that is the episode on the Keiths. I hope you enjoyed it. Corey Romanot, I, I, well, first of all, I hope I said your last name right. Second of all, I really hope you enjoyed it. And thank you for sending me sources and kind of giving me a, a head start on that one. And guys, look, I don't see everything that goes on in the Facebook group because it's so stinking big now. Um, if you really want to get in touch with me, send an email to the Scottish clans at gmail.com. And you can also leave me a, a review on Apple Podcasts, give me the stars, and write something. Tell me how we're doing. How do you like it? You can also reach out to me on podbean.com. So that's what we got for this time. One more invitation. Share this. Please share this podcast with somebody you think would like it. And until next time, Marsh and Leib and Drasta. <laughs>